When most people think of Alabama, and especially Alabama in the early 20th century, progressive politics are hardly one of the first things that come to mind, if they even come to mind at all. But what if I told you that there's a small town on the Gulf Coast that was home to socialists, bohemian artists, and all other varieties of political progressives and radicals? It might seem hard to believe, but that town really existed. Welcome to Fairhope, Alabama. But first, hi, I'm Katie Anabinet. I'm a sophomore at the University of Montevallo, and I've been researching what life in Fairhope was like during the 20s as part of my class's larger foray into Alabama in the 1920s. I've been focusing specifically on looking into the progressive politics and lifestyles that really made it a unique town at the time. I originally chose this topic because I grew up a few towns from Fairhope along Mobile Bay's eastern shore and have always had a passing interest in the town's history. When the opportunity to do some focused research into the town's history presented itself, I figured, hey, why not? But enough about me. Let's get into Fairhope. But before we get into the 20s, it's important to know a little bit of Fairhope's history in order to better understand why the town was so fundamentally different from anywhere else in Alabama at the time. It was founded in 1894 as a single tax colony following the principles of Georgism. Well, what does that mean? I hear you, hypothetical audience, asking. Well, to keep it as brief as I can, single tax colonies raise all their public revenue using taxation of land value. Georgism is an idea derived from the teachings of economist Henry George, which argues that wealth inequality occurs because people who hold societal privileges don't have to provide compensation for holding those privileges. And using those ideas as their guiding principles, Fairhope began to grow. And by the 1920s, Fairhope's population had boomed. It's now the largest town in Baldwin County, and it's just overall a really vibrant and colorful community. But really, at Fairhope's core were its residents, and a lot of Fairhope's residents were very progressive and radical. A lot of the town's residents at the time identified as socialists, with some even being card-carrying party members. The local newspaper, the Fairhope Courier, really highlighted a lot of the socialist leanings of Fairhope's residents through their columns. Literally, the tagline for the paper was, and I quote, a progressive paper for progressive people. But anyways, there was one column I read while doing my research, where the columnist responds to claims published in another Alabama newspaper, the Sumter County Journal. In that column in the Sumter County Journal, the writer claims that Fairhope is a socialist town because utilities were publicly owned. And the author of the Fairhope column does point out that not all residents identify as socialist, but ultimately he ends up saying that you can't be a single taxer without eventually becoming a socialist. Some of Fairhope's residents were so dedicated to socialism that Following the 1929 stock market crash, they immigrated to Soviet Russia. Take, for example, local citrus farmer and president of the Fairhope single tax colony, Albert M. Troyer. While in Soviet Russia, it's not really clear what happened to Troyer, but it has been noted in several places that he disappeared into a gulag eventually and was never seen again. But this sort of predisposition for progressive politics that was inherently baked into Fairhope extended to other things as well. 
Evolution was a hot-button topic in the 20s, with the Scopes trial happening in 1925. Mary Marcy, a socialist and feminist author who resided in Fairhope for various periods of time, published a book in 1922 called Rhymes of the Early Jungle Folk. Rhymes of the Early Jungle Folk was essentially a children's book of poems, uh, very nursery rhyme-esque, and it was all about evolution and geological time. And it was illustrated using woodblock prints by one of Fairhope's resident artists and close friend of Marcy's, Wharton Eshrick. Clarence Darrow, the lawyer from the Scopes case, who argued for ev evolution education, actually came and stayed in Fairhope following the trial as a means of resting and recuperating. But while staying in Fairhope, Darrow mainly focused his efforts on promoting racial equality. He made several speeches around the area where he spoke against Jim Crow laws and lynchings. After a speech at a black school in the area, the Eastern Shore Industrial School, he was chased out of town by the local Ku Klux Klan chapter, where he's said to have escaped to Chattanooga and then headed further up north. One of the most widely recognized aspects of Fairhope, though, was its School of Organic Education, which was founded by Marietta Johnson and was heavily influential in the progressive education movement. While the school was founded in 1907, it really flourished in the 20s. In fact, in 1926, Johnson published a pamphlet detailing her views of education and child development called The Fairhope Idea in Education. Here, Johnson emphasizes her idea that children should be learning out of curiosity and enjoyment, and that a lot of traditional schooling methods, like grades, discouraged this. She said, grades and other methods created a double standard where kids were trying to make good grades to impress their parents or their teachers, and not just learning because they were curious. But one of her more out there ideas was that kids shouldn't learn to read until they're about 10 years old. She said this would impede their development of their nervous systems and also promote antisocial behavior. From what I could tell doing research, a lot of parents at the school didn't necessarily ascribe to this view and just let their kids learn to read outside of school at home. But I think it's important to note here when talking about Marietta Johnson and other Fairhope residents that Fairhope attracted a lot of Northern transplants, mainly wealthy white Northern transplants. Also, the town was developing into more of a resort town during the 20s, and many of Fairhope's most prominent figures didn't live there full time. Instead, they spent their summers or their winters there. But many of Fairhope's visitors had large impacts on the town's culture and stayed connected with the town, even when they weren't necessarily living there. And because Fairhope was this vacation spot and a resort town, I think that really helped it foster this more bohemian feel. A lot of artists and writers either lived in Fairhope or would frequent, um, frequently winter there or summer there. For example, one of, Fair, uh, one of the country's premier woodcut artists at the time, Wharton Eshrick, I mentioned him earlier when I was talking about Mary Marcy's book, Rhymes of the Early Jungle Folk, worked as an art teacher at the organic school and it was there that he actually started working with woodcuts. He was given his first set of tools for it by a close friend and writer, Sherwood Anderson. Anderson and other writers such as Upton Sinclair 
and Carl Sandburg lived and work on, worked on Fairhope Shores during various periods of time. Um, some of Fairhope's residents even took a more liberated approach to clothing as well. Speaking of Sherwood Anderson and Wharton Eshrick, while doing my research, I found a photo of Sherwood Anderson's wife, Tennessee Anderson, and Eshrick's children nude on a beach together. Uh, nudism wasn't an unpopular idea on Fairhope, but most approaches to clothing were a little less extreme. Coinciding with women's liberation and the flapper style, women in Fairhope started wearing shorter dresses and bobbing their hair. Lillian Totten, the wife of the town's movie theater owner, is said to be the first woman to wear pants around town. And as part of the town's 1929 Labor Day weekend festivities, there was a beauty pageant featuring a swimsuit competition where competitors donned swimwear that would have been scandalous in many other places at the time. As you can tell, Fairhope was vastly different than most towns in Alabama at the time. Like I pointed out earlier, most of its residents were northern transplants, very wealthy and mostly white. These aspects did not make Fairhope very representative of the ethos of Alabama as a whole and led to the town acting mostly as an enclave. While progressive politics played a big role in the town itself, and even outside of Fairhope on a national scale, as seen with the influence of the Marietta Johnson Organic School of Education, um, it did not particularly play an effective role on Alabama's politics and lifestyles. 100 years later, Fairhope is still very much an artist community. From my personal experience and observations living in the area, I wouldn't necessarily describe modern day Fairhope as being especially concerned with progressive politics, but it still has this very bohemian and artsy feel that is true to its roots. Additionally, Fairhope residents are still very connected, invested, and proud of their town, which is very true to Fairhope's roots. So, now you know a little bit more about Fairhope. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned to hear from my classmate, Giovanna Kloss, to learn about the state of education in Alabama in the 1920s. Thank you so much.